week. I'm so encouraged by your voices as we sing together. Uh, what a wonderful morning to worship. Uh, so welcome. Welcome to Grace Chapel. I am thrilled to be here for many reasons of which we will get to here in a minute. But before we start, I have two things that I want to share with you uh, that are really exciting about what's going on at Grace Chapel right now. So we have been praying and thinking and meeting and talking and searching for a family director of ministry, our family ministry director. So this is someone that we need to work from ages zero on up to uh, the 12th grade. So children's ministry, youth ministry, uh, middle school and, and high school ministry. And we have found him. We're so excited. It's Chase Tresnovec. Chase, would you stand up, please? I know I'm going to embarrass you a lot, buddy. Just get used to it. Yes. Yes. So Chase and his wife, Johanna, just moved here from uh, Long Island, right? Or New Jersey-ish. Yes, I'm not familiar with that area. That's where they say they came from. They showed up in a moving van, and I'm so proud of this church because so many of you showed up and helped in the pouring rain to unload this wonderful family and get all their stuff inside. And uh, so now I'm sure you guys are overwhelmed with unpacking, but that'll take a couple weeks. But if you see them in the hallway after church, just give them a big hug. Tell them thank you for coming. Um, we want to welcome them um, in the name of the Lord because this is going to be a great a season for these ministries, and so we're excited to see Chase dig in. Uh, the second announcement is just, this is just like God. This is so like God. He, he provides, and then when you go, wow, that's such a great provision, he's got like another one around the corner. And so, so many of you know that um, Matt and his wife Kathy have answered a call to, to leave Grace Chapel and to go in a different direction, which is so sad for us because we love them, but God said, hey, I got another family for you. And, and before Matt and Kathy even have led, left, we had another family that was interested in the position. And uh, Nate uh, and Jules Malley are their name, and they have two beautiful little girls. And they have decided to answer the call to come here and lead worship part-time. Nate primarily is the, it will be our new worship director, and he and his family will be joining us. He's out of town right now, so they're not here. Uh, but he's going to be joining us at the end of the month to start ministry uh, together. So we are so excited about both of these families. And, and I, again, I'm just blown away about how God does these sorts of things. You just, you just don't know what he's going to do, and it just seems to get better and better and better. So um, that's wonderful, uh, and I'm excited about all the ministry that's going to be happening, uh, and we can't wait. Also, can we give it up for Angie, uh, a guest worship director leading us? Wasn't that great? Yeah. Now, my friend Chris Bailey put me in contact with her and um, just a great connection there. So uh, thank you, Angie, and worship team and, and, and tech team for putting this on. So um, let me pray for us as we dig into our message. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity just to be here. Uh, Lord, to be filled with your joy and your energy and your um, excitement for the things that are going on around us. Lord, thank you for being a God that moves us. Thank you for being a God that stirs our hearts and calls us to worship and calls us to connect. Uh, Jesus, just sitting in the adult Bible classes early this morning and hearing so many people talk about you with so much excitement, uh, it's such a wonderful thing. Uh, Lord, thank you for being among us. Thank you for moving us. God, I'd ask that you'd speak, uh, that you'd speak through me now, that you'd get me out of the way long enough to speak to your people. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Um, I don't, this is kind of a strange question, but have you ever been introduced 
uh, by a friend or maybe you were giving a speech at work or a presentation or something and somebody stood up beforehand and said, hey, let me tell you about this person. This is so-and-so and this is what they're going to be doing. If you've ever experienced that or, or maybe you have experienced the opposite where you're the one that has to give the introduction, you, can, you, you know that it can be kind of a, an interesting time to hear somebody talk about you or, or for you to stand up and say, hey, let me tell you about this person that's about to come up and talk. Well, I have a friend. Um, my friend is named Peter Mason, Pastor Peter Mason down at Faith Church, and he, he is a wonderful man. He's a good friend and mentor of mine, and he will introduce me in such crazy ways. So we'll be sitting at Panera eating lunch, and someone will walk by that he knows, and he knows everybody, so he doesn't, I don't think he knows I'm talking about him, so this will be fun to surprise him. But um, someone will walk by that he knows, and, and he'll jump up and grab them and shake their hand and say, oh, hey, great to see you, so-and-so. Hey, this is Josh, and let me tell you a story about Josh. I'm like, whoa, how much time do we have here? Like, what's going on? And he'd be like, Josh said to me the other day, or you know what Josh said the other day when what I thought was interesting, he, he says my name and he immediately has a story. And, and it's just three or four seconds, but it, it's so interesting to see what happens when he does this. I don't even know if he does this on purpose. This just might be his bubbly personality. But what it does is it immediately connects me to the person that he's introducing me to. And subsequently, Peter has introduced me to many, many now friends. And I think it has a lot to do with the way he's introduced me. Hey, let me tell you a story about what Josh said the other day to me. And he tells the story, and the person's like, wow, that's kind of interesting. Or, wow, Josh sounds kind of crazy. This is the Josh? Like, wow. Um, but it's, it's such an interesting way uh, to introduce someone. Um, another way that we see introductions a lot in our society and culture is, is weddings. You've ever been to a wedding? You've been married? You, you, you know the toasts, right? The best man toast, the, the maid of honor toast, the father's toast. Like, all these toasts, they're speeches, right? They're introductions to the person. And I've been around quite a few weddings in my time, and I can tell you, I mean, within a couple of seconds, if it's going to be a great best man toast or if it's going to be a, a not so great best man toast. And I can tell you quickly what the difference is. The bad ones we'll talk about another day. That's another story altogether. But I can always tell if it's going to be a good best man speech because you can feel the excitement in the best man. And, and, it's, and it's partially the excitement of being in the spotlight and having a microphone and everyone somewhat is quiet around you and listening to you, and there's that excitement. But that excitement is, is usually about the groom. And it's, it's the introduction to the groom. And, and, the, and a lot of best men are, all, are nervous, but some of them are nervous because they can't wait to tell you about the groom. And let me tell you this story that happened to me and the groom. And, and let me tell you about what he's good at. And let me tell you, he might not be good at washing dishes, but man, he will stand up for you. And that is amazing. And the speech then shifts to the bride. And, and, the, and the best man then starts talking to the bride about what kind of husband she just married. And you can feel the room, like the energy is, is palatable. And everybody wants the groom and the bride to connect and be better together than they were separate. And it's the best man's job to prepare that way. It's the maid of honor's job to prepare that way. And it's an amazing thing if you see a good one. I mean, usually the good ones, if they're good at all, people are crying. It really moves people to hear someone talk about someone else with this much love and connection. Let me ask you a question. Wouldn't it be the lamest thing you have ever heard if a, groom, if a best man stood up and was like, hey, this is Johnny, everybody, and let me pull up his Facebook feed to tell you about him. So Johnny um, looks like he, uh, he would fish in at one point. That's 
cool. I wasn't invited, but whatever. All right. Let's scroll down a little longer. Oh, looks like Johnny had a birthday. Oh, no, it looks like maybe it was his nephew's birthday party. I don't know. Here's Johnny, everybody. It'd be like, what? That's the lamest thing I've ever heard. Why don't you tell me about how you know him? Tell me about the stories of when you were in high school with this person, you got in trouble, or, or stories about how he defended you, or, or the kind of man he was when you practiced with him on the football squad, or whatever. I want to hear stories about how the groom, how the best man knows the groom. And I want to feel the excitement of how much excitement is in the room for this marriage. It's a wonderful thing. Same thing with maid of honor speeches. It would be so disappointing if they would just spend time talking about information that they learned from Facebook or some other form, right? Well, this is an analogy that we see in Scripture. It's an analogy that uh, Jesus uses, and Jesus describes himself as the groom, and he describes you, us, the church, as his bride. And there's all these cool stories and analogies and even parables that play into this. And most of you have heard that, okay, yeah, we got the groom and we got the bride and we're the bride and Jesus is the groom and, and we got all that worked out. But today I'm going to turn that analogy just a little bit on its head because as a church, we're just not the bride. We're also the best man and the maid of honor. And the reason I know that is because there's analogies. Paul, in, in um, let's see, 2 Corinthians 11, 2, he talks about, to the church in Corinth, he talks about his jealousy for this bride. And he's, he's spurring this bride on to purity. And he's saying, be pure, stay pure, because, because my name's at stake here. I promised the groom that I would deliver a pure bride. And he's expecting you, and he's so excited to meet you. Paul even says, I have a, I have a godly jealousy for you. And he's challenging them to stay pure, to stay the course. It's an interesting analogy that Paul puts himself in the seat of the friend of the groom. And he's challenging the bride to make decisions that will help her stay pure, waiting for the groom to come back. We get to look at a story today that is, in my opinion, the best, best man ever. He's the best, best man. He's the best, best man because he can work a crowd like nobody you've ever heard. He is special. He is talented. And he, he has charisma. He's got the jokes down and he's got the <gasps> moment in the speech, right? He's got it all worked out, and he's the best, best man. And I can't wait to introduce you to the best, best man. His name's John the Baptist. And we're going to be taking a look at the Gospel of John, which is a little confusing. It's not the same John. It's a different John. It's a disciple John. And he's talking about John the Baptist in chapter 3. And John, if you wonder, in the gospel, the, the, the writer of the gospel of John, um, John the disciple, he uses the third person for himself, so he never really refers to himself as John. So anytime he says John, I know it's confusing, he's talking about John the Baptist. So this is what he says in chapter 3, verse 26 on. John the Baptist says this, or John, the, the apostle says this about John the Baptist. They came, they being the disciples of John, came and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, you know, back when, we don't really pay attention to what you're saying, but, but you testified about him. Look, he's baptizing and everyone are going to him. Everyone is going to him. We'll just stop there for a second. You can hear the little whininess in their voice, right? They're a little confused. I don't know what's going on. But this is such, such an interesting thing. And, and 
to say John is the best, best man might even be an under, um, understatement. John the Baptist is arguably the most popular person Israel has ever seen. And you might go, wait a minute, what about Moses? What about Abraham? What about kings and King Solomon and King David and all the prophets? Well, here's the thing. Those people were popular in their own right at, during the time. But if you were a popular king and, and, you, and, and someone didn't like you, you, you kind of had the authority to kill them. So everybody liked the king, no matter what kind of king it was, right? The prophets, some, the best prophets are the prophets that you think of, Ezekiel and, and um, Nehemiah and, and Isaiah and these great prophets uh, that, that are speaking gospel or the truth to the nation. Typically when they were speaking, it was when the nation was running amok. So those people weren't that popular in their time. They were like, this Isaiah guy keeps telling us about all these prophecies, and, and, and we're, just la, 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 la. we're not really listening. And it's not till later that you go, oh, Isaiah, look at what he said, look at what he did. So they were popular after the fact. But they weren't popular in the moment. John the Baptist is none of those things. He, he probably has a prophetic gift, but he is a crowd pleaser. And this guy could bring in the crowds, let me tell you. This guy could pack a house. There wasn't a house big enough, in fact, for his crowd. So, so he taught out in the desert places so they could have huge, huge peop- numbers of people. And thousands, they estimate thousands upon thousands upon thousands would show up to hear John the Baptist preach it up. And he could work it. People loved it. And if you just think about that for a second, people would travel all over Israel to come hear John the Baptist. Hopefully, get their like turban signed or something, you know, maybe a sandal, a little signature. It's a big deal. And you go, okay, great. Well, he brought in the crowds. Why does that make him so popular? These people would risk life and limb to come see him. It was not easy to travel in the first century. In fact, you were taking your life in your own hands. You bring your family with you, you're taking their life in your own hands. By just traveling, you could get robbed, you could get murdered, chances are there's no place to stay. It wasn't like they could go down to a Hotel 6 and stop off at Chick-fil-A before they got hungry, right? No, they had to deal with, they suffered a lot to show up. And they would show up to John the Baptist and he would teach them about repentance and baptism and he would do it around this, the river and he would baptize people and he would challenge these, these people that had a faith that was based on a system and rules and the law and the covenant and he was, it was almost like he was reinvigorating their souls and their passion, and he would remind them, this is about your faith in Yahweh. This isn't about a structure. And of course, that got him in big trouble with the authorities, which just made him more popular. Now he's like this rock star rebel guy that none of the authorities like, oh my gosh, now they can't get enough of him. And the authorities would come and question him and try to get him in a trap, and they couldn't do it, and, and he had it all. In fact, one of the best ways to describe his popularity was this. John the Baptist is doing his thing, his crazy thing, and everybody's coming and seeing him and hearing him. And people started coming to John the Baptist, and they would go, hey, hey John, um, really, really great, great message today. You know, best, best message I've heard today. And, and you know, I, I'm just so excited to meet you, and, and you, are, you are more than I imagined you would be. And, and I, I just have a really quick question, John. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure maybe you've heard this before or not, but um, people are talking, and, and, and people are wondering if you're, if you're the one. If you're the one. John, are you the one? And I can imagine John going, the one what? What are you talking about? And they would say, you, you know, the, the one, like with a capital O, like the one the prophets prophesied about, the, the, the one that, that we call Messiah, 
the one that is going to be the savior of our nation, and, and, and not just our nation, John, like savior of, of the world. Are you the one that's going to overthrow Rome and lead this nation to world domination? That's what these people believed. This guy was so popular that people thought he was Jesus. And like any good rock star, he was like, yeah, bring it on. No, not John the Baptist. Not the best, best man ever. (laughs) John the Baptist would go, whoa, 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 whoa. You think I'm special? You think I did a nice little trick tonight when I preached a sermon and thousands became baptized? You think that was special? You just wait. You just wait to the main act. I'm just warming you guys up. I'm the best man. Wait till the groom shows up. In fact, the only reason I'm here is to tell you to wait and to look for the groom. That's where we pick this story up. We haven't even gotten started. John the Baptist's disciples come to him and say, Hey, John, that guy that you talked about that wouldn't really pay attention to what you're saying, that, that guy, he's on the other side of the river, and he's, he's doing what we do. I mean, what you do, right? He's, he's gaining in popularity. He's even more popular than us. I mean, I mean, more popular than you. They're getting bothered. And I imagine like, a, like these guys are getting like all hot and bothered and frustrated. They're like gangsters. Like, what are we going to do, John? We got to roll up on them? What are we, we going to yell at them? We going to embarrass them? What are we going to fight them? What are we going to do? And I, and I imagine like, you know, like, um, uh, uh, what's that, what's that uh, uh, play? Um, Newsies. No, not Newsies. What is it? I have it in my notes here. Um, West Side Story. You guys ever see West Side Story? And these, these like thespians are trying to act like gangsters and they're like, yeah, let's get it on. We're going to roll up. These disciples are trying to be all aggressive, you know, and it's like, no, hold on. You, you guys are disciples and you're following on a rabbi. All right? you're, you're not warriors. You're not gangsters. Just calm down. And I can see in John's face just this, I know, guys. I know what you think. I know it's bothersome to see this guy doing the same thing that we've been doing for a while now, and he's gaining in popularity. Listen to what John the Baptist says to his disciples. Verse 27, John replied, A person can only receive what is given them from heaven. He goes on to say, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah. I'm not him, but I'm sent ahead of him. I am sent to prepare the way. You guys know this. We talked about it. Remember that one campfire where one of you asked that stupid question and I explained that I'm not him? Weren't you listening? We're not going to roll up on Jesus' crew. No, this is the point. This is, what we, this is what we dreamed of. This is the whole point of what we're doing. John's response is so textbook humble. I, I don't think John gets enough street credit, honestly, with Christians even today. He is a spiritual giant to be able to turn away this kind of fame and this kind of power and this kind of popularity. And his disciples were ready to lead it. They were ready to lead the John the Baptist revolution, and they couldn't wait to get there. His own crew was pushing him to do this. 
Abe Lincoln says this, said this. He's not saying it now. He said it. Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Wow, that's deep. Man, John the Baptist had all the power he could have ever wanted at his fingertips. And instinctively, he turned it around and said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Thousands of people are coming and listening to him. And he wants nothing. His response is, everything we have, disciples, has come from heaven. You think, you think the fame, the glory, the, the, the popularity, the power, you think we earned that? Do you think that, that happened because I'm like this crazy guy that eats locusts? It's like a show act. Don't worry about it. No. We didn't earn that. That wasn't because we're special. That wasn't because we're talented. It's because heaven gave it to us. And if heaven or God decides to take it away, that's up to him. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got nothing to do with us. And Charles Stanley, this is Dr. Stanley, said, um, Andy Stanley's telling the story. Charles Stanley was being interviewed by someone the night before he was to be voted in as president of the Southern Baptist Convention. If you don't know what the Southern Baptist Convention is, look it up. It's a huge, huge honor for a pastor to be even considered to be the president of this amazing organization and seminary. And he had all his people that were telling, you know, they were, they were uh, telling him that he w- couldn't do it, he wasn't good enough, he had too many holes in his past, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this lady's interviewing him on television the night before, and she says to Charles Stanley, Dr. Stanley, she says, what are you going to do if you lose tomorrow? And if you've ever seen Charles Stanley on, on TV, he's this patient man, and he takes a deep breath, and he says, you know, if I win tomorrow, I'm going to win. If I lose tomorrow, I win. Because I've, obey, I've obeyed God, and I'm going to let God handle the consequences. That's amazing, the humility out of that guy. Unbelievable. He went on to win in a landslide, and he did amazing things for that organization. What would it be like if we had that view in our life? If we were able to take as the, as the fame and the popularity of John the Baptist and turn it around and go, it's just a gift. It's just a gift from heaven. It has nothing to do with me. And if that goes away, it's got nothing to do with me. It's just God moving. I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to trust God with virtually everything I have and everything I don't have, and tomorrow will take care of itself, and I'm fine. I'm fine. Man, I could tell you my anxiety would drop. My, my sleepless nights would be zero, and I would probably sleep like a baby. Although if you've had a baby, that's not a good analogy. Maybe like a child, like a 10-year-old. Those, those things sleep like Like there ain't no tomorrow, they sleep, right? I'm going to sleep like that if I have this perspective. But instead, we got to control it all. We got to figure out how to earn it and how to to get better in talent. All my talent, is it going to be this? Am I going to do that? Is my house big enough? My car shiny enough? I don't know. John the Baptist is over there. I don't know, man. God gave that to me. (laughs) He takes it away tomorrow. That's his deal. John goes on in verse 29 with that famous analogy that we started off with. John says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom, or the groom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. 
and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. He's the best man. He can't wait for this wedding. John is saying, guys, you know this about me. He's, he, he's, the, he's the groom. I'm the best man. Maybe you followed the wrong guy, and, and actually many of his disciples went and followed Jesus. Some. John the Baptist said, listen, I'm just, I'm just excited to hear his voice. I'm just excited to hear him coming. John's Baptist's eyes are fixed on the groom. This is our job. We just tell people about Jesus. We just make the introduction. We just make the introduction, tell them what it's like. Let me warm up the crowd a little bit. Let me tell you about this groom. Let me tell you about that time that he and I did when I was scared and he, when I was afraid and he. And one time I was praying and God moved me to, those are the stories that the church needs to hear. Those are the stories that the community needs to hear. The last little verse, couple verses here. The end of that 28. This is what John says, and this, this brings tears to my eyes. That joy, that joy of hearing the bridegroom, that joy of me preparing the way, that joy is mine, John says, and it's now complete. Can you imagine the disciples hearing John the Baptist say, thanks for coming, guys. That's it. We've done our job. We've heard the groom. He's right across the river. Our job's over. My joy's complete. I've done what I came to do. And the disciples are like, whoa, 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 what about world domination? I thought we were just getting started. John's like, nope, nope. You want that, go to him. I just made the intro. He goes on to say one of the most powerful things John the Baptist would have ever said did ever say, verse 30, guys, he must become greater and I must become less. Wow. Talk about a spiritual giant. He kept his gaze on the groom the whole time. And it's one thing to cry out to Jesus when you're hungry or when you're, uns when you're scared or when you're afraid, but as Abraham Lincoln says, give him power and see what he's like. John the Baptist's character stood the test of power, and he reflected the groom all the way. Now, today we have a different problem in our society. Well, same problem back then, but, but it's, a, it's the opposite of that message. Our society today is you deserve what you can imagine. If you see an ad on a TV, you deserve that new car. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what your credit's like. Doesn't matter how much money you got. You deserve it, right? See Dancing with the Stars or, or, or American Idol, and they're interviewing these contestants. I'm, oh, this is my time. I've been waiting. This is my time for the spotlight. I deserve this. I've worked for this. That's what our society tells us. You deserve whatever you can imagine. You got John the Baptist over here going, guys, I got to become less so that he can become more. So countercultural. If you want to know where Grace Chapel's going, I get this question a lot. I love this question. Josh, where's Grace Chapel going? What's the vision? What do you see when you look out into the future of Grace Chapel? 
This is a pretty good vision statement. Hey guys, vision for Grace Chapel, we collectively, we become less so that he becomes more. Less and less and less and less so that Jesus becomes more and more and more. Tomorrow, next week, next month, a year from now, 10 years from now, if this is true, if this process is continuing, we are doing our job. I can't wait to see what that looks like. We become less, he becomes more. John the Baptist literally became less and less and less. Spoiler alert, he lost it all. Maybe loss is the bad word. He gave it all. You see, John the Baptist died alone in a dirty, dingy jail cell with one witness, and that was the executioner. He lost his disciples. He gave his disciples. He gave his fame. He gave his glory. He gave his popularity. He gave it all away so that Jesus could become more. That is awesome. John the Baptist, the best, best man. You know, people don't care today. People don't care about religion. They don't really care about how churches work. They don't care about all the ologies, you know, like ecclesiology, eschatology, pneumatology, any other ology you can come up with. They don't care if you went to seminary. Trust me, I know. <laughs> In fact, it's kind of a party killer. Like, oh, what do you, where, where did you go to school? I went to a theological seminary. Okay, going somewhere else. Nobody cares. Nobody cares if you did go to seminary. Nobody cares if you didn't go to seminary. Nobody cares about that stuff. Nobody cared back then. People don't care. But people want to know him. And they want to know what it's like to know him. I sat down a couple years ago with, with, with dinner over a friend, with a friend. And, and I was talking about quiet time that I had with Jesus a few weeks before. And I felt like Jesus was telling me something. I was like, you know, Jesus was, was I feel like Jesus told me to do this thing. And, and he was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus told you? Like, explain that. What does that mean? Like, what do you mean Jesus told you? Do you like, did he sit down with you and like you had a like face to face and he said these words? And it was like this golden opportunity to tell this guy about the groom. And I'm like, let me tell you. Let me tell you how it goes down for me. This is the way he moves in me. You see, Jesus is not some spiritual, Sunday morning only kind of thing. He's my friend. He's my friend. And I talk with him, and he talks with me. And I always get hit wrong what he says, always it seems like. And, and, and so far, he's never misunderstood me. I don't know how that worked out, but... This is who Jesus is, and this is what people want to know. They want to know what it's like. People want to know him. Here's the idea this morning. The world doesn't want to know the best man. They don't want to know the best man. They want to know the groom. So the worst thing you could do is say, hey, I know the groom. Facebook feed, let's see here. I've heard that he, uh, oh, yeah, he was at a birthday party. Wedding, too, he turned water to wine. It's pretty cool, all right, yeah. They want to know how he impacts you. They want to know what relationship is like. And if you're not willing to talk about that with them, that communicates that you don't really know him, even though you might. We've got to talk about the groom. 
You know, I was uh, mountain biking with my brother in the middle of the night. I know it's a crazy story. In New Hampshire, actually. I was in high school. My brother and I were coming back from a house that we were hanging out at. We, we would go up to New Hampshire for the summers and, and throw hay. It was not a lot of fun. We would go up to New Hampshire to cause a bunch of trouble for my grandparents. Uh, and they would bring us in for a couple of weeks. We're riding back from this guy's house, pitch black, no moon, like darkness. And you don't get this kind of darkness in Colorado. You get it here where you cannot see the hand in front of your face, and you're like, I mean, are my eyes open? Like, what's going on? I'm riding my mountain bike, and I'm like, Rob, where are you? And he's like, I think I'm ahead of you. <laughs> like, like, okay, how far ahead? I have no idea. And right when he finished that sentence, it's like right here, right? I have no idea. <laughs> and I hit him full on, and miracle beyond miracle, I hit his back tire with my front tire, and I came off my bike so hard, I tackled him from the back like full on spread, and he came over his bike and we like rolled in the street. That's how dark it is, and we're, luckily nobody was hurt, it was hilarious, we're all laughing, we all, me and him. I was crying, he was laughing, okay, fine. We get up, we, we shake ourselves off, we still can't see anything, we kind of fumble around, we get our bikes, we start pushing our bikes, and we're like, what are we going to do? It's like a mile away, there's no way we're going to make it. And as we turn on that, the road that we are on onto another dirt road, the clouds parted. And the sun, uh, the moon came out. It felt like the sun. The moon came out. I could see every expression on his face. I could see everything. And I was like, whoa, the moon is so bright. I can see everything. Do you guys know how much light the moon produces? That's right. Big fat zero. Virtually no light. No light. The moon produces, is not a producer of any light whatsoever. Yet, the moon can reflect the sun. You probably know where I'm going with this. We position ourselves, right? We're here to position ourselves, and the sun reflects through us. It doesn't matter if you've been to seminary. It doesn't matter if you're eloquent in speech. All you have to do is tell stories about you and the groom, and people can't get enough of it. And you might be saying, like, like Josh, now, now, now hang on. Now, I can't reflect the sun because have you seen me? I've got sin. I've got fear. I wouldn't know what to say. My boss hates me. My coworkers think I'm crazy. I got no influence anywhere. I can't reflect. Have you seen the moon? Can we show the moon? You put it up early. You put it up early, didn't you? Look at that thing. Craters and chasms and canyons. You see, it's not about the moon's ability to reflect how shiny it is, how smooth it is. No, it doesn't matter. It's because of the power of the sun. All the moon does is reflect. All it does is position itself. That's it. The power of the sun overcomes any, any tarnish you might have or might have in the future. You just have to be willing. That's great. How do we do it? Let's get real practical. I have friends that listen to these messages. They go, Josh, that was great. You got to get more practical. You got to like tell them exactly how. Like, what do we do specifically? Okay, here's the specific thing. We have to be disciplined. This takes work. You have to spend time with Jesus. That's specific. Tomorrow morning, get up before your family. Spend 30 minutes talking to Jesus sitting in silence asking him to talk to you and do it for the next 10 years. Discipline yourself. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorites, said this, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor 
What? C.S. Lewis said that? Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. Sounds fake, but I know you don't feel like getting up. I know it's hard. My life is crazy too. It's hard to spend time with Jesus. It's hard to love my neighbors, even though I got some cool ones. Sorry, guys, I'm bragging a little bit. It's hard. I don't understand why people don't want to come to church. I'll just say that because I love being here because it helps me. It encourages me. People say, oh, you know, church is great, but sometimes I just got to take a break. You know, I just got to take a break. Like, take a break? (laughs) Seeing God move and other people? I don't need a break from that. Can we do church twice a week? That would be great. No, it wouldn't. I spent a lot of time on these messages. I know it doesn't seem like it. You have to be disciplined with your time with Jesus. You have to be disciplined with acting like you love your neighbors. You have to be disciplined at coming together and being encouraged, even though sometimes you pull into that parking lot, and I know you don't feel like coming out of I know you feel, feel like coming out of your car. But C.S. Lewis and I say the feelings come later, and they are good feelings. And if you wonder, because of specifics, if you wonder, this looks like compassion. It looks like kindness. It looks like humility. It looks like gentleness. It looks like patience. It looks like these things when you become less and Jesus becomes greater. And it looks like that as a community We're together in this. When we do this together, Jesus becomes more. And there's tons of compassion and forgiveness and love and all these wonderful things. That's what it looks like. That's how you know you're getting it right. Won't be perfect, but you'll start making progress. The world doesn't want to know the best man. They want to know the groom. Let's pray. Jesus. Thank you for being the groom. Thank you for desiring the bride. Lord Jesus, we know you're coming back. We know you're coming back for us, and we can't wait. But it's just as Paul says, oh, we want to be pure. So God, I ask that you would discipline ourselves. You would would give us the strength, the courage to discipline ourselves. You give us the patience And as we're acting, as C.S. Lewis says, instead of actually feeling, give us the fortitude to keep going. It doesn't feel good sometimes to come to church. It doesn't feel good to go to your coworker and say, hey, I got to tell you about Jesus. But Lord, I ask that you would give us the strength and courage to discipline ourselves to do it. Lord, sometimes I will, I will confess I do not want to spend time with you because I know your light is going to shine in places of my heart that I want private. It doesn't feel good, Jesus, I know. But give me the strength. Give us the strength to become less so that you can become greater. God, I can't wait to see what happens to this church a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. Lord, you've had this church on an amazing journey, and and you're not going to stop. We thank you for that. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Stand as we end the service with worship and song.